First Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some have strayed, having turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Let's pray together. Father, as always, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have it to turn to. We thank you that it will outlive the heavens and the earth. We thank you that it doesn't change. We thank you that it's more than we need it to be each day in our lives. Help us, Lord, to learn it well and to obey it by your grace and by your power. Fashion us into the image of your Son through it today by your Holy Spirit as we worship you in the study of your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to have hearts that are pliable and willing to to obey and to change anything that you'd have us change uniquely Uh, individually as you speak to us. We thank you for this privilege that you want to change us to make us more like you. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As we begin 1 Timothy this morning, we're beginning a little mini section uh, along with, well, basically it constitutes 1 and 2 Timothy and also the book of Titus constitutes what's known as the pastoral epistles. And these books are different. They have a little bit different emphases to them. And there's different things that you find in these books that you don't find in his other letters. The first of which that we see is that he's addressing this book to a person. Not that it doesn't have application to others that read it, but primarily as we see here, Paul addresses it to, to, to a man, to Timothy. And this was someone that he knew very well, very close to this man. And so it, it, we get to kind of look into this relationship that they had. And what we see as we study 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and 2 Timothy will be the, probably the, the last book that Paul wrote, and he wrote it to, to this son in the faith. And then as we get to Titus, when we eventually get there, we'll see it as well, his relationship with Titus there. And so what we see is we see a mentor-type uh, protege 
relationship where you have someone that's a mentor and someone that is a learner or a protege, so to speak. And it's, it's beautiful how God arranges that. And the first thing we need to know as we begin this book is that God brought that relationship together. Paul um, met Timothy and, and, and he was used, you know, Paul was used in his life in a certain way, but God's the one that ultimately brought them together. It wasn't Paul seeing him or picking him out or anything like that. It was the Holy Spirit who, who arranged this relationship. And that's one of the things I want to highlight just briefly before we really get into the verses is that God does give us those relationships. He does give us a mentor-type relationship or someone that's like a protege or, or someone that we can pour into. We see it all the time among his people. We've seen it all through the church age. We've seen these relationships that, that he puts together. And it, the first thing it requires of me as a, as a believer in Christ and in functioning in that context is I need to recognize those things. I need to recognize when the, that the person that he's provided or the people that he's provided in my life to be someone that I can look to is from him. Once we see that they're from him, then we, have, we see them as a stewardship. We see them as something that we need to you know, take seriously and protect and to thank him for and to take advantage of and so forth. And, and also we need to function properly. Once we recognize that, that God has provided those people in our lives or he's provided someone for us to pour into, usually those things are happening at the same time. It's usually not we just have mentors and then at some point way in the future, now we have someone to pour into. Usually... As we're stepping out in the things of the Lord and obeying and his calling upon our lives, we find that both are happening concurrently at the same time. And it's beautiful to watch. And so we can't underestimate the, 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 uh, the, the efficiency or the, 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 the proficiency in, in how God uses those relationships and how beautiful they are. And one of the things that we forget, especially when we're looking at it from the context of being a mentor ourselves or pouring into someone else's life is that we underestimate how powerful that is because we're always aware of the little things that we do in other people's lives to help them and we always underestimate how God takes those things and multiplies those things and uses them far beyond anything that we could ever have dreamed and it's the same way when we have mentors and, and our mentors that we've had they don't realize the effect that they had on our lives. So often you'll go to a memorial and you'll hear the stories. And, and you, you, you go, wow, I didn't realize that person was so influential. And are, aren't we surprised? Aren't we surprised on how much people are used by God in other people's lives? And what we can forget is that God's doing the same thing through our lives. He is using us far beyond anything that we could comprehend and, and we need to recognize that now because that will help us even be better mentors. It'll, it'll help us to pour into people even in a greater way or spend more time doing that or be more spirit-directed in the context of doing that. And God will use it even more. And so that's one of the things that I see as we start tearing into this, this whole section and, and in the pastoral epistles. Mentors are important. I have, I've had six men that over the 22 years of knowing the Lord have, have been my mentors, six men, six pastors. And each one of them are different, in many ways a lot different. 
And each of them had something very specific that God used to minister to me through their lives based on their unique personality, their unique calling, their unique age, their unique background. I had no idea what God was doing. And a lot of times we see it clearer when we're looking back and we're, wow, God brought that person into my life at just the perfect time. Anyone say amen to that? I mean, I just know from my own life, these men, and you know, one of them is Pastor Garth who comes and speaks every once in a while. He was one of them. He was a new Christian, 1990, 22 years ago, brand new Christian. He reached out to me and he took me under his wing and he encouraged me, he prayed for me and he just... When then a year later, when he found out I, I received a calling to be a pastor, he started really pouring into I mean, that was a critical time in my life. I could look at Brian Richardson, who's the pastor of Tracy Community Church. He used to be my youth pastor, my first youth pastor back in Modesto, way back at that time. And Pastor Garth served under him and poured into my life, taught me about grace in a context where there wasn't a lot of people talking about grace at the time. He taught me about grace. I started exploring grace. And I think of Pastor Damien. I think of Carl Westerlin, the director of the School of Ministry at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I think of Pastor Bob Horton. I mean, all these men God used in my life. And it's not just for pastors that he has this kind of arrangement. He puts people in our lives all the time that speak into us, speak into our lives. And then he puts us in other people's lives where we have this really, really unique place where we can say just the right thing at the right time, encourage them, pray for them, point them to the Lord. That's all what we're doing is pointing people to the Lord. And God takes that little bit of effort, the little loaves and fishes, so to speak, and he just multiplies it in their lives. God doesn't want us to miss those relationships, both from a receiving standpoint and from a giving standpoint. Paul didn't miss it. Timothy didn't miss it. They knew exactly what God had put together they both functioned in that context perfectly, and God used it in both of their lives. Timothy was a huge help to Paul, probably way more than Timothy, Timothy knew. And, and, and Paul was an influence in Timothy's life probably more than Paul knew. And that's how it is with us as well. A little background on Timothy. Timothy's name means one who honors God, and he sure did. He was from the city of Lystra, in the Roman province of Galatia, and that's in modern-day Turkey. Paul first met him on his first missionary journey. We're told, well, we're going to be told in these uh, epistles, these letters, that, that Timothy had a Jewish mother named Eunice, and he had a Jewish grandmother named Lois. And they were Jewish, but his dad was a Gentile. His dad was a Greek, and we're not told anything about his dad. His dad could have died when Timothy was young. We don't know, but he wasn't a strong influence in his life, at least from a spiritual standpoint, because Timothy had great freedom to learn the scriptures, even from his childhood, and, we're, and Paul's gonna, going to reference that. It just shows you the kind of history Paul had with Timothy. He knew his background. He knew his, his kind of his upbringing and so forth, and that's what's required when you're helping someone and mentoring someone, you have to get to know them. You have to get to know the details of their lives. And conversely, they need to know, you need to know, uh, they need to know our details from our lives. And there's that sharing there that God uses. So Paul personally led him to Christ on his first missionary journey. And Timothy at that time was about between the ages of 18 and 22. Now, Paul is writing this now to Timothy. It's been about 15 years subsequent to that. So Timothy is about 30, between 33 and 37 now, still considered a young man in that culture. 
Paul's going to tell them that let no one despise your youth. I'm glad that ages 33 to 37, even though I've surpassed that, is considered youth because I'm just, I'm barely out of youth. And that's encouraging, that's encouraging to me. I'll take it. I'll take any help I can get. Paul started and finished every one of his three missionary journeys in the city of Antioch in Syria there, Antioch of Syria. So he left uh, Antioch with uh, Barnabas there. Barney went with him, and uh, they went to these areas, and they went to the area where, where, where Timothy lived. And they went into the synagogue, as was his custom, every Sabbath, and he preached the Messiahship of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he became a Christian. Then he returned to Antioch, and then he went on a second missionary journey. This time, though, when he came back through that area, he, he, he uh, handpicked by the Spirit Timothy to go with him and to, to help him on, on his missionary journey. Now, that wasn't something that was insignificant. Paul wouldn't just take anybody on these missionary journeys. You had to have some uh, tenacity, some perseverance. You had to have a calling on your life. You had to have character. Uh, we're told in Acts chapter 16, verse 2, that Timothy was known for his reputation of godliness. Paul saw that. And we, we, we put people in places of leadership and given them responsibilities without even getting to know their character and not even getting to know that they have a certain calling for whatever it is that we're thinking of them about. And God says, be careful. Paul's going to write to Timothy in his second epistle, his second letter, and he's going to say in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he's going to say, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That isn't insignificant. That's very significant that Paul would would pick Timothy and choose Timothy so that he could uh, go on him and uh, go with him and, and accompany him on this missionary journey. And so that's why he chose Timothy, because Timothy was called by God to do this. And he had the character. He had already grown in his faith as a new Christian by the time Paul came back in the second missionary journey, which wasn't a very short time. Timothy, young Timothy, had progressed in his faith. Paul recognized it, and he said, the Holy Spirit wants you to come with us. I'm sure that's how it came, came, came about, because Paul was being led by the Spirit in everything that he did. And so Timothy left his, his family. And, you know, think about it. He never, ever was thinking that he may come back. He didn't know. He knew that Paul had gone through a lot. I mean, it, the first time Paul came, he was stoned and left for dead. And, and so he knew the price. And so he left and, and, and God used that. Now we're told the purpose, and you can look down to chapter 3 real quick for the purpose of why Paul wrote this. You can see it in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. You kind of get a hint of the purpose that Paul's writing these things to Timothy. He says in verse 14 of chapter 3, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, verse 15, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how, to, how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so that's the, really the purpose why Paul is writing this. He's wanting to instruct Timothy. Timothy wasn't envisioned by Paul to be the long-term senior pastor of the church, but he was to put things in order and to appoint leaders and so forth. And so these, this instruction is, was in, coming upon Timothy to receive and to obey. You know, it's interesting in our day and age, you know, there's so many books on how, what the purpose of the church is and what we're supposed to do in the church and all this. And you kind of get the sense sometimes that it's just up to pastors to have the church be whatever they want it to be and whatever their preference is, and that's not the case. 
God has laid it out very specifically how the church should function, what it should look like, and all the things that are the non-negotiables that every church should have, every healthy church should have. But at the same time, he leads those that are called to hear his spirit and how the spirit's directing that individual body to function with the calling that that particular church has. And so there's calling and then there's prescribed order and how things should function within the body. And he's instructing Timothy to, to function properly in that context. He needed help. And so it's easy to forget that this is Jesus' church. This is not my church. I don't even like saying that. When I say come to my church, I'm not saying my church because I'm the pastor. I'm saying my church like that's the church I go to, just like you would say it. And I've had people correct me at pastor's conferences. Don't say it's your church. And I know what I'm saying by it. I'm not saying that it's my, my church, like I possess it or whatever. But I'll take it. I'll take that exhortation. You know, it's a good reminder for, for all of us that it's his church. And if it's his church, he's going to build it. And the gates of hell, the defensive mechanisms of hell, will not withstand the onslaught of the church going forward. And he said that. So he's, he's prescribed a schematic for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22 tells us this. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God, in the spirit. There is a spiritual building God's building. That's the church. And he gives this imagery of a, of a construction. And anyone in construction knows that there has to be a proper foundation. And in verse 20 there of chapter 2 of, of Ephesians, he says that, the, that the, uh, the foundation is the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, the rock uh, from which everything else is measured. And that's the foundation of the church. And so all Paul is doing here with Timothy is helping him function within the foundation that's already been laid. Timothy wasn't called to build a whole new foundation. He was called to build upon the foundation that had been already laid, recognizing that uh, the chief cornerstone has already been, um, everything else has been already measured off of him. And he's calling us to do the things that he did and, and say the things that he said. And so this holds leaders accountable because, and it brings us comfort. You may think, well, why are we, you know, we're going through this as a church, you know, this is for pastors, why are we looking at this? It's healthy for all of us to know how God has set the church up. God may move you somewhere to another fellowship. You need to know what God has laid out for the church, what's proper, how to function within the context of a local body. But it's also to recognize that, uh, that leaders are to be held accountable for one, and that our desire in our heart is to have this body of believers be biblical. And, it, and it's supposed to be bringing comfort to our hearts when we see things that are happening line up with Scripture. So that's how God wants to use this uh, in our lives. Now notice in verse 1, Paul begins, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. Just because this is a personal letter, it's still applicable to all of us, as I mentioned. You know, Paul will say later, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture, including this. This is in the scriptures. So this isn't just a physical letter that's to a physical person that is a friend of Paul and a protege of Paul. This is something for all that's binding on, on the entire church. 
And Paul isn't even addressing Timothy as a friend. Notice he addresses him as an apostle. He's still talking about his office. This is still an official letter. This is how to conduct himself in the church of God. This isn't just, hi, how you doing? Uh, you know, hope, glad, wish you were here, and, and just all this personal in, in information. This is official business here, even though it's a personal letter. And Paul says, I'm an apostle, and that means one who is sent of Jesus Christ. And I like this that he says, by the commandment of God. Usually he says by the will of God. Here he says by the commandment of God. Timothy, as we'll find out, he's a little timid. Timid Timothy. Timid Tim. You know, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a little bit, and it's neat because he isn't just like Paul. To have that mentor relationship with someone, you don't have to be just like them. They're, you could be totally different. You really couldn't get more different in many ways than Paul is from Timothy and Timothy is from Paul. They were different. But the Holy Spirit's totally fine with matching us up together in pairs that were different because we complement each other. There's things in my life that I, that I don't have that you do and vice versa. And if you're a mentor, you know better than anybody that you learn just as much from your protege as they ever learned from you. And, and that's important. Paul learned a lot from Timothy. I believe that. And so Paul says, I'm an apostle, I'm one who has sent, but I've been called to be that by the commandment of God. So Timothy may have needed some help understanding that our calling is not an optional thing and we can't just uh, obey that calling in certain ways versus others. Paul is going to you know, encourage him to remain there. We're going to see that. And, and oftentimes we think about calling in the context of going. <laughs> Sometimes we don't think about being, obey, you know, being uh, in obedience to a calling to stay, to remain. And it takes just as much grace to stay as it ever does to go. And so often it, it seems like it takes more grace to stay than it does to go. We see that Paul is saying to Timothy that he didn't call himself. And neither did Timothy. And neither did Paul. Paul didn't call Timothy. God called Timothy. And Paul's recognizing that, and he's emphasizing his calling so that, that it, so that Timothy can think about his, and that it is a commandment just as much to Timothy as it ever was for Paul. He's not just speaking about a general calling. He's talking about a specific calling, too. Not just to be a pastor or whatever, but to be in Ephesus for this time. And, and so we think that, you know, it's, it's easy to stay once you get there. It's not easy to stay. He tells them to remain because when you're thinking about going, there's a romance about it. I mean, people talk about going to another country to be a missionary and they're dreaming and thinking about how great it's going to be and they're, oh man, it's going to be great to be a missionary to this country or to go plant a church or whatever. And they, all, they usually always think of the great things, and the wonderful things, and then they get there. And then the difficulty comes, and the hardship comes, and the temptation comes, and the spiritual warfare comes, and, and the attacks come, and all these things, the trials come, and now they want to go. They're very interested in going before and excited about it, but now they want to go be, to escape what God's called them to. <laughs> in Calvary Chapel, we talk about the two-year principle for, for senior pastors, that usually the first two years, whether and it's usually in the context of planting, because most of the Calvary Chapel pastors today have planted the churches that they're pastoring, a lot of them, because we're still pretty early on, even it's, though it's been, you know, 30, 40 years. But the, we, we talk about this two-year rule that the, two year, the first two years is mainly for the pastor's education. That the peop, God will give the people so much grace to hear totally different sermons and, and to put up with all, you know, his learning curve and all these things, and he's going through so much, and, and that sometimes people want to quit 
before the two years, and they've always encouraged the pastors just to hang in there for the two-year mark, and I've heard three years, whatever. I'm glad I'm past all that now. <laughs> I'm trying to double that. Uh, but, you know, he, he, they t- just hang in there. Just be, I mean, Pastor Chuck talks about it. He, all these guys, dozens, probably hundreds of guys calling him over the years. Oh, Pastor Chuck, I want to quit. Help. Save me. You know, oh, just stay there, fella. Just stay there a little longer, you know. And, you know, pray for me, Pastor Chuck. Oh, I've been praying. I'll continue to pray, you know, and, and just trying to encourage him and everything. And, and, and then they make it past the two years, the three years, and they start to see, you know, because in the beginning, it's very difficult. It, is way, it was way harder than I thought it would be. The first three to six months, I was very vulnerable. I was going through a lot regarding the plant here. I had what's called Preposition Sunday. I still call it Preposition Sunday. It was our second Sunday. There's launch Sunday. Everybody's here. There's 200 people here. It's like, okay, now we can have second Sunday and see who God's really calling here. And we began in Acts, and we taught the first chapter there. We talked about the baptism with the Holy Spirit and the three relationships that we have with the Spirit. With He's with us, He's in us, and He's upon us. And, and from a certain background, they've never heard that before, and that's offensive to them. And so we had 25 people leave after the second Sunday. One of the couples called me over their house and sat me down and wanted to, you know, just said, you know, we've looked at, we've listened to your sermon again. We've studied the Bible. We are really confused. And the longer we looked at everything, the more we realized we weren't the one confused. It was you. God bless you. Thank you for inviting me to come over your house to tell me this. And demonstrate hospitality, you know. And so, to their credit, after we went to the scriptures, they, they saw that, that they were confused. I mean, I'm confused about other things, but on that, I wasn't at the, on that day. And they were gracious and all of that, and they, they, they remained here for, for a, a while. That was hard. That, I, I didn't know how to deal with that. I'd never gone through that before. There's so many things, you know. The, 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 we started right in, in the summer. It's like the time where everyone's traveling, you know, and there's people that are coming from backgrounds that haven't been healthy and they're, they're, uh, they're struggling with areas. And so they're, it's all new to them. They think going to, among God's people once every six weeks, that's doing God a favor, you know, and, and you know, and they're serving. What are you talking about? That's like you're an alien talking to them. And, and, you know, all these things that are just so far out there, but you're not used to dealing with those things. You're not, you're not you don't know how to function in that context well because you want to represent the Lord well, but you've never gone through this stuff. You've always had a senior pastor that dealt with all this, and you don't even know what it's like. So God's grace is, up, is upon you during all of that on top of your own you know, personal issues that you always have to deal with. And, and, and so it's a shock. So Paul is saying, look, I'm, I'm an apostle by the commandment of God. You're where you're at because God has commanded you to function in this context. God's grace is sufficient for you in this, like it is for me. And so you need to just remain and stay where I've called you to stay. So it's a great encouragement. He says in verse 2, to Timothy, and I will get to all the verses. You can, you know, relax here. Uh, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we see the relationship just come right out obvious there in verse 2. A true son in the faith. You, you can imagine the encouragement that would have been to Timothy. He would have been encouraged if he just heard, read the words, a son in the faith. But a true son, authentic son in the faith. In grace and peace, he always has those in his epistles. And, and, but this time he adds something different. He adds mercy. Did you see that in verse 2? He adds mercy. We've never seen that yet as we've gone through these epistles. Where he adds mercy to it. And he only does it in the pastoral epistles. 
That's very noteworthy for me. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And, and so here he's writing to leaders, and he says, may mercy be with you. And I think it has a lot to do with just thinking about caring for God's people, teaching his people, tending, tending them, and you know that you're going to make so many mistakes. And you know that God is very, very concerned on, on the attention to detail and the care that his people receive. And it's very easy to lose your confidence in how God's blessing you or extending his grace to you and so forth. And I, it could be many reasons, but to me, that's where it hits me, is that may mercy be with you. Don't, that you wouldn't, God would be merciful to you and not give you all that you deserve in the context of serving him in leadership. But it's there. It's there in, uh, in First and Second Timothy and, and Titus. There he adds mercy to that, and I'm sure that was very encouraging to Timothy. He says, I, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, verse 3, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So evidently, Paul had told them this before in another location. He says, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, as I urged you, remain in Ephesus. He's told them this uh, before. And so he, and, and Ephesus was a rough place. Paul got ran out of town. You know, he was there for three years, but, you know, it was, it was a difficult place to serve. And so here, Timothy is, he's having to serve there. He wants to leave, but Paul says, no, you need to stay. It isn't based on how easy it is. It's based on God's calling and what he's told you to do and, and to not react in a negative way to the things that are difficult. Because God's calling in our lives includes many things that are difficult and, and hard, whatever he's called us to. And, and he, he hasn't hidden that from us. He's told us that in this life we will face tribulation, but be encouraged, I have overcome the world. And so he says, remain there in Ephesus there because he wanted to leave but he tells him what to do <laughs> he says that you this is the purpose that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine and this word charge we've gone over a lot of military words as we've looked at these different epistles this is another military word this is this is what a commander says to someone inferior he charges somebody to obey orders based on the the the, the rank system there and so he's, Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to do the same thing. You have given, you've been given a rank, so to speak. You've been given a place of authority. You've been given an office. Now use that to say the things that you're supposed to say, namely that these people shouldn't teach false things. And so we're going to see this charge word used, and he, he uses it eight times in First and Second Timothy, and he's telling them you need to leave. When someone is timid and fearful... It's very difficult. We all don't like confrontation, and we all want the approval of men, all of us. And what's hard for people is that when the context of when, you know, they're supposed to be leading God's people, we can't have weak people that are, that are, are afraid to lead and to say the things in an appropriate way that need to be said. But that's what God's called leaders to do. So it, it's incumbent upon the leaders to say those things, and it's incumbent upon you to receive those things. And of course, those things have to be biblical and they have to be done appropriately. But as I mentioned in the last book, you know, this isn't a democracy. This is an order. God has set things up in an order. Even within the Godhead, the Son is subject to the Father. 
And I don't understand all how, what's involved in all of that, but even within his own nature, there's an order. There's not a, a democracy there. So he says this is how the church should function. And leaders are losing their credibility and their usefulness in the body of Christ because they won't tell people what they need to hear. Because true love tells people what they need to hear. And sometimes we can be so concerned about what people think of us, we become inoculated against being able to be an extension of God in people's lives and say the things that we're called to say. And it's true for all of us, not just leaders. We're told to exhort one another daily, especially as we see the day approaching. Do we do that? Do we exhort one, uh, one another all the time? Now, there has to be a, 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 an appropriate way to do that. Exhortation has an encouraging, encouragement element to it. It's not just you know, confronting people and challenging them. It, it has an encouragement aspect to it because it's, called, it's, a, it's a way to build people up. And when you condemn and bust people and, and all, use manipulation, all these things, that isn't edifying. But what is edifying is to say, look, I'm seeing some areas that, that trouble me. I'm concerned. And I believe God's word says this. And it's, it's important for all of us to be able to have a teachable spirit to be able to say, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I'm going to go to the Lord with that. If we all did that, this would be a totally different church, as great as it is. But, but we don't do it. And, and so many leaders don't say the things that they're called to say. So he charges some with this military verbiage here to, to, to tell people to, to stop teaching error and to teach the truth. And, and in these pastoral epistles, he's going to use the word doctrine or teaching, some form of it, 32 times in these, in these pastoral epistles. Very important for pastors and leaders to be teaching the truth and to be modeling the truth. And, and Paul's concerned about what the teaching that's going on in, in Ephesus. He's already warned them. In Acts chapter 20, verses 26 through 31, we're told this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit, not man, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch, that means pay attention, and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. Who's speaking there? Paul is speaking. He's on the island of Miletus there. He called for the Ephesian elders, the elders that are serving in this body 15 you know, years before this time, or 10 at least. And he knows that this false doctrine's coming. Because it happened wherever he went. They came in after him and taught false teaching. And here he says that for three years, three years, that's a long time to be warning people day and night about something that's coming. But he's warning them about these savage wolves that are going to come in. And he even says among yourselves. Paul's going to get into the qualifications of, of, of an overseer. And that's supposed to safeguard the flock against this type of thing. So he says, you need to be careful and teach these things and command them to not teach anything else, not to teach any other doctrine. And I've seen a little bit of this here just in our short time here. There's been people that have tried to introduce things that aren't biblical, that are dangerous, and I've had to tell them to stop it. And even some, some other people in the church kind of got offended on their behalf. What are you doing? You can't do that. Yes, I can do that. This is where I get that. 
I'm called as the leader and the other leaders as well to say, quit teaching things that are false. God's called us to be in the truth. How many times did Jesus say, most assuredly I say to you, or verily, verily, in the old King James, we meet in Veritas school. <laughs> means truth in Latin. Verily, verily. Did I tell you the truth? He always wanted us to know and wants us to know the truth. But when error comes in, it's incumbent upon the leaders to stand strong and be a leader, be a man, man up, <laughs> pastor up, and to say, stop it. Quit putting those videos on, on, on Facebook that you know is against what we believe to try to influence us and the people here. Stop that. And, and we'll do it, and we'll continue to do it. And I have to have a higher concern for the calling that I have and what God thinks about how I'm doing in that calling than what anyone else thinks. I have to. That's what someone that's truly called does. I've joked before that I feel like I have Wonder Woman's lasso around me up here. have to tell the truth. You know, and that's a, probably a bad illustration, but that's my, that's, that's my mind. I'm sorry. That's what you get. We have to tell the truth up here. I'm going to put a little plaque up here that says stricter judgment and the scripture reference. Because he said of every teacher, anyone that teaches the word, that they're going to endure stricter judgment. That puts the fear of God in me. I'm going to endure stricter judgment, stand before Jesus and give an account. I'm also going to give an account for everything that goes on here in a way that none of even the other leaders will not give an account for. And that scares me too. I mean, in a healthy reverence. And so I'm willing to put up with anyone getting mad at me to do what God's called me to do and to say what God has called me to say. You know how important doctrine is here and the word of God, it protects us. It's a very peaceful place. It, didn't, it wasn't in the very beginning. <laughs> it's like the island of misfit toys on uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I mean, there was a lot of things going on that was hard, you know. Again, there's my mind again. But, but you know, it's funny because I'm perfect for that island, oversee that island, being, having my past. But, but, as, but what's happened is over time, as people have cooperated with the Holy Spirit and what he teaches them in his word, like going through the scriptures, then they start being more mature and they start being gracious. They start being loving. They stop, they stop backbiting. They start serving. They start giving their lives away. They start being more godly. And it affects the whole body. You know, going through the scriptures like this, where we're confronted by a lot of things that aren't pretty about ourselves, it weeds out a lot of people. If I did self-help type things and was saying all these great things that people want to hear and never mentioned sin or repentance or hell or any of those things, we would have chairs all the way to the back by now. But that does, that's not what God's called us to do. He's going to tell Timothy, preach the word. Not preach from it or preach about it. Or He says, preach the word itself. And that's uncomfortable for us. Paul wrote, again, he's going to say to Timothy, convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and patience. That's not really a recipe for, for seekers coming in if you're trying to aim for them. And, and, and so you're going to be saying the difficult things. And so you have to have a man that's called that fears God or else it's all going to cave in. And, and in some ways, that's how we see some parts of the body of Christ. And it's sad. And so may that never happen to us. And it never happens here God, I hope God just closes this whole thing down because I don't want anything to do with something that's not according to how he says in Scripture. He gets very specific in verse 4. He says, Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now specifically, they were using the law of Moses to get in all kinds of tangents and false teachings and, and, and he calls them fables. 
And he calls them endless genealogies there. So they were getting into all this stuff. And Paul just, I could hear him just go, Oy vey, <laughs> this gives me a headache. Stop it. And so you can put these things there in verse 4 in three categories, or at least I did. The false, the worthless, and the divisive. Because that's what you see there in verse 4. You say the false, which is the fables. The worthless, which is endless genealogies. They're true, but they're not used for the right purpose. They're, they're true things. So because they're not used for the right purpose, they're worthless. They don't make us more like Christ. They don't edify us. And then the third thing is the divisive. He says at the second half of verse 4, notice he says, which cause disputes. The older I get in the Lord, you know, I've known the Lord for 22 years. I know many of you have known the Lord longer, but some less. But, you know, the more, the less patience I have for all these debates and uh, all these things that Christians get so wrapped up in, well, people are going to hell. And God's people aren't getting served. That the poor aren't getting helped. And the, and the body of Christ isn't being the body of Christ. How much prayer time is getting squandered because we're on Facebook debating some stupid doctrine. And, you know, where are we praying for our relatives that are going to hell? You know, soon, maybe. All this stuff, I just, it gets simpler and simpler for me as I get to, get to closer to be, you know, with him. As I grow in the, the word, I see things are very simple. In the beginning, I was all about controversy. It's all about all this stuff. Ooh, did you hear about that? Ooh, I didn't know. Hey, people believe that? Yeah, oh, I'm going to read four books on that. You know, it's like, great. Have you read your Bible? No, but I'm going to read four of these other books about all this other controversial stuff. I was into all that, and then I got to have my positions. And here you have your positions. Let's hear what you got. Let's hear, what, let's hear, hear your positions, because I, I got all this other research. You know, Dave's really saying, yeah, I can see that, you know, because it, it, that's, that's just how we can be wired in different ways. But as I grow in the Lord, the less time I have for that. So when someone sends me a link to this and, hey, tell me what you think, and it's 40 pages, and I, I'm like, I'm sorry. This is my stance on this. This is where I see the scriptures. I don't have time for that. I got other things that I need to guard, like, like my time with him each day and, and, and figuring out where the lost people are that are around me and, and, and seeing how the Spirit's directing me to, to preach the gospel to them. I'm really sick of it, honestly. All the debates and all the controversy and all the, what do you th- who, who's going to take over for Pastor Chuck when he dies? I don't care who takes over for Pastor Chuck. God's man, whoever that is, that's who it's going to be. And all this conjecture, and, and, and I'm, it's just worthless. That's what, that's what Paul says. It's absolutely worthless because what is it lacking? Look at the verse 4. Edification. Doesn't build us up spiritually. So we have to be focusing on sound doctrine because that does build us up spiritually. It does edify us. And then he gives the result of it in verse 5. He says, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere love. Paul lays out the purpose of sound doctrine and, and rejecting all this controversy and worthless things. Love. We're wasting a lot of time debating when we could be loving. I mean, we could be loving from a pure heart, which comes from doctrine. We could be loving from a good conscience, which comes from doctrine. And we could be loving with a sincere faith. That word sincere is the opposite of a hypocrite. It's the word hypocrite, but with an A in front of it, which means that it's the opposite of of a hypocrite. It's something that's been tried and true, and it's found genuine. It's like when you heat something up and all the dross comes, and and you see the pure, uh, sincere uh, reality of what what that kind of metal is. That's the picture 
So that's the goal. Paul isn't saying stop doing this because of, of any other reason that there's a good result that comes from it. And I love that about him. He's just so perfect in how he tells us the Lord is, uh, does regarding these things. He, sa- he says, uh, verse 6, from which some have strayed, having turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Paul's a Pharisee of Pharisees. There, there's no one that's going to know the law, and especially in those circles, probably better than, than him. And, and so he knew the law better than these, um, well, I'll just say uh, misguided fellows. Uh, I won't use the word that comes to mind. Not that it's hor- horrific or anything like that. It's just, okay, chumps. They were chumps. They were chumps. They were ch- these teachers were chumps, okay? And they were engaged in this legalism and this, you know, using the law for all these things that weren't uh, the, what they should have been using it for. So Paul comes in and he says, you know, don't listen to them. And they were probably older men. And it's really hard for an older man to be corrected by a younger man, even a spiritual older man. You have to be really humble and walking in humility to be corrected by someone that's older, especially in this culture. He's 33 to 37. These guys are probably in their late 40s, 50s, 60s. They're all into this law controversy, wasn't benefiting anything. Paul says, you have a commandment. Your calling is a commandment. You need to stay where you're at and tell them to stop it. And it doesn't matter if you're afraid. You need to do what God's given us to do as, as leaders. So he says, stop it. Now, Paul gives us the proper response in verses 8 through 11, or the proper purpose, rather, of the law. He says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate for the ungodly and for sinners, for the ungodly and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, that is, the gospel was committed to my trust. The purpose of the law was to reveal to the Jews who were under the law specifically, that they were guilty and needed a savior. And the work of the law was written on the conscience of Gentiles. And their conscience testifies that they don't live up to the standard of perfection that that the law represents. And so because of that, it reveals who are the lawbreakers. That's the purpose of the law. Sometimes people use this as, okay, this is tells us that we're supposed to be using the law in evangelism. And we can. We can use the law in evangelism. Nothing wrong with that. But, but Paul isn't teaching Timothy on evangelism here. That's the context and what he's dealing with is that let's not debate things related to the law. That's not the purpose. It wasn't The law wasn't made for righteous people. It wasn't made for people who know Christ, who are debating about the law, or, or righteous Jews, so to speak, righteous in, in, in parentheses, uh, to, to debate or any of those things. It was to reveal who the, the sinners were, which reveals all of us. That, those, all those 613 laws was to testify, to be a mirror, to show us how sinful we are so that we see that we need a Savior that God provided in the Old Testament. So Timothy has a responsibility to shut it down. Again, he didn't like confrontation. No one does. But God had called him to do it. And so he, God had called him to lead. He had grace for that. Timothy didn't have the strength in himself to do that, but God had grace for it because God always associates his grace with his calling. In Calvary Chapel, we always talk about 
calling. It's all about calling. If you're called, then God has the grace for uh, whatever he's called you for, whether it's leadership or, or not. And we're all in the ministry equally. And so Timothy needed to know that. Tim, uh, Paul wasn't willing to uh, show, show him anything otherwise because he loved him and he knew that the, the, God's people needed to know it and he knew that Timothy needed to obey it. So as we close here real quick, just in review. God has a calling on our lives, every one of us. It's a commandment. It's, it's something that he's called us to. It's, it's not optional for us. So it's incumbent upon us to find out what that calling is, to recognize that God has set it up, and that in that context, he usually provides a mentor and usually provides someone for us to pour into at the same time, and he uses that to further prepare us for that calling that, that we're supposed to walk in. And that opposition will come far beyond anything we could imagine God tells us to remain there and be faithful until he tells us otherwise by his spirit to move on. And that God has all the grace for us to function in that context. I'm excited about chapter 2 because he's going to get into some very interesting things regarding who he's supposed to entrust God's people with. And so we'll get into that uh, next time. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this passage. Thank you for your calling on our lives. We thank you for the people you put into our lives to pour into us. We know you didn't have to do that, but you did. And we're so thankful for that. We pray also, Lord, that you would help us to recognize who you put in our lives to pour into uh, in, in the same manner. We thank you, Lord, that you set those things up so flawlessly and perfectly. Help us to not squander those things, whether we're on the receiving end or the giving end. We thank you for who you've called. We pray for the leaders in the body of Christ. We pray, Lord, you'd make them to be all that you've called them to be because you've called them, because of their love for you. And we pray, Lord, that this fellowship, this body, this family will always be walking in sound doctrine, not for the sake of having head knowledge, Lord, but help us to, to know you so that we can follow you and obey you better and to glorify you. And, and help us to all to walk in humility no matter how much we learn about you, no matter how much we grow in the knowledge of you, Help us to always be teachable so that we can be corrected by anybody, Lord. Thank you for the privilege that we get to be changed into to an image of Christ and conformed into that image. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.